Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, good morning, church. Man, thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for remembering it was daylight savings. I forgot. Uh, But thankfully, my phone is my alarm, and it adjusted automatically in the night, or I might still be asleep right now. And I'm really glad that you guys are all here this morning. If you're a first-time guest, I want to welcome you. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so thankful that you're here at our church. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Galatians. So if you have a copy of God's Word, would you take it out and find your way to Galatians chapter 5 this morning? We are in the middle of a series on marriage, and if you are not married... This is still going to be an applicable marriage for you. I've been praying all week that God would use this text and use this message to minister to both those who are married, but also those who aren't married, because I believe God's word has the ability to do that, that could speak to every need in the room and can minister to our hearts. And as you're finding your way to Galatians chapter 5, I just wanted to highlight a couple of things to our church family before we get going this morning. Uh, The first is just to highlight that marriage follow-up event, marriage conference follow-up event this Thursday night here at 630. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had our marriage conference, and it was a, a great time where we were able to hear from Lee Lewis, uh, and we had this Q&A panel, and we asked people to submit questions. We answered five questions during our Q&A. We had about 50 submitted by our audience. And so what we want to do this Thursday night is spend a large portion of that time answering a lot of those questions that were asked at the marriage conference. Uh, Perhaps you didn't come to the marriage conference, but you're interested in hearing that panel talk about questions about marriage. Um, You are invited to come. Um, It's 6.30 here. It's absolutely free. And our panel this time is going to be a a mixture of a lot of our marriage counselors here from our counseling ministry. So men and women are going to be able to speak to some of the questions that you have about marriage. So I would really invite you to come back this Thursday night at 6.30 and be a part of that. Second thing I wanted to just highlight is we've been getting a number of questions from our church family about how, how are we at Salem Heights going to support our brothers and sisters in the Lord in the Ukraine? And how do we know where to go about and how do we know what to do and what to maybe participate in? Um, Pastor Justin mentioned this last week. We actually have people who attend our church who were born in Ukraine, who the streets that they grew up playing on have been literally decimated into rubble right now. Their family are still there, and they've been in contact with their family, and and they've been asking, is there a way for our church to to come alongside and to help? And so uh, this past week, we have been looking into um, different ways to be able to support people there. What are their needs? And also vet, you know, what are reliable sources where we can potentially give and we know that those funds and those, those resources are going to actually get to the people in Ukraine. And so we have been able to identify a partner uh, who has who absolutely found a way to be able to do that, even though the banks and the gas stations and everything have been just decimated in Ukraine. There are still ways, believe it or not, Ukraine was way ahead of, of the United States in their use of apps and to be able to transfer money. And so this is one of the ways that they're able to do that. And so we have vetted a way, we have a way, if you want to give funds to be able to provide food and basic necessities to believers in the Ukraine, we have a way for you to do that. So if you want more information about that, if you want to participate, or even if you have questions, you can contact the church office this week or email info at salemheightschurch.org, and we will connect you um, with that opportunity. This morning and next week, we're going to be kind of focusing now on the, uh, the aspect of conflict in relationships. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I think that this message applies to those who are married and to those who aren't married. And this morning, we're going to be focusing specifically on expectations in in relationships, especially in marriage. I'm hoping that this morning is extremely practical, but I'm also believing that this will most likely be convicting because we all have expectations we, we all bring expectations into any relationship, but especially into a marriage relationship. These beliefs that come up from our desires of what marriage should be. Whether you were a little girl who grew up dreaming about her dream wedding and being married to her Prince Charming, or to a dude that was like, okay, mom says I have to leave. Who's going to take care of me now? We all have desires and expectations for marriage. And the reality is we bring those in and oftentimes our expectations in relationships are self-focused. We look at relationships as a means to fulfill our needs and our desires. 
And we're willing to contribute something to that, but there's always going to be some strings attached. Oftentimes, the expectations that we bring into marriage are very unrealistic. They're not actually tied to reality. They don't take into consideration all the different factors that go in. And and really, our lack of control when it comes to another person, a human being. Here's some, uh, a few examples of unrealistic expectations. Maybe you can relate. How about this one? Getting married is the hard part. Once married, you'll live happily ever after. Why are we chuckling at that? We got some broken marriages in the room this morning. Amen. How about this one? Because you love each other, you'll always be able to resolve all your disputes. I remember when I was first married, my wife and I, we had made this pledge at a moment where we were like not upset that the next time we got in a fight, before we, you know, we got really intense, we would stop and we would hug each other and then, you know, we would discuss responsibly the issue at hand. The very next argument, I didn't want to hug her. I was just like, nope, nope. How about this one? Your spouse will never change. Or you'll be able to make your spouse change into what you want them to be. All right? Yeah, they're not, they're not there yet, but I'll, I'll get this person into shape once we get married. How about this? Your spouse is responsible for your happiness. Did you notice how we didn't chuckle about that one in the same way? Or how about this one? You should spend all your free time together just like you did when you fell in love. I heard somebody say this week they were talking about marriage and they were talking about how now they've been married for a number of years and now when they go to a marriage and they see these two young people up front and they're looking in each other's eyes longingly and they're making these vows and these commitments that this person and their wife began to chuckle at young love. They said, that's not marriage. You think you're getting married right then making those vows. That's not marriage. Marriage is the next day when you go to the airport and your spouse forgot their passport on your way to your honeymoon. That's when marriage starts. See, the reality is we all have expectations and we bring them into our marriage. And, and the reality is that we actually can, our expectations continue to grow within the marriage relationship. Our desires for our spouse continue to grow. And what happens is, is that when we get into these relationships and our expectations aren't met, we're not ready for that. It's, it's surprising that we wouldn't be ready for that. But it happens. When things don't go our way or the desires don't come to pass as we envisioned when we were getting ready to get married to that person that we love so much and they go unmet, oftentimes we respond poorly. Jonathan Holmes in his book called Counsel for Couples says this, when expectations in a marriage go unmet, we typically have one of two reactions. We blow up or we clam up. Is that true for you? When the expectations in your life don't get met by that person, whether it's your spouse or somebody that you're close to, your expectations for that relationship don't go met. Uh, Do you respond in either anger and frustration or icy coldness? I think it's true for a lot of us. In 2005, there was a a national study done by a a secular organization uh, on marriage and they found out this statistic, and, they, and it's funny because some of the secular articles on this topic are surprised by this. But it said in that survey, 45% of divorced couples, so almost half of every divorced couple said that the reason they got divorced is because of unmet expectations. It's pretty shocking. So this is what I want us to do this morning. I want us to look at God's Word. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. And I have two goals for us this morning. The first is this. I would love for us to consider personally what is at the root of my current expectations in my marriage. Or if I'm not married, what is at the root of my expectations for other people that I'm doing life with? I want us to look inside. I want us to consider what is our motivating factor? What is driving our desires and our expectations? And the second thing I want us to do is recognize this big idea that you and I can expect great things in marriage when our expectations are in step with the Spirit of God. 
This is not going to be a message like expectations are wrong. You shouldn't have any expectations. What I believe scripture tells us is that we actually can have great expectations from marriage. Marriage is a gift from God. He created it. He gave it to us. And and, and it's a means in which we are uh, sanctified. He actually uses marriage as a tool in our lives to change us from this self-centered, selfish person into becoming more like the son, someone who's sacrificial and gracious and willing to lay down their life for the good of another person. Marriage is a tool used by God. And when we come into that and we follow God's design for it, it's not going to make us diminished. It's going to help us flourish. So expectations in marriage are not wrong. But it's what are they sourced in? And I believe that we can expect great things in marriage when our expectations are in step with the Spirit of God. So we're going to look at this really familiar text in Galatians chapter 5. Hopefully you found your way there. We're going to start in verse 13. Would you stand as we read our passage this morning to honor what God has said to us as his followers? And I hope this morning we're anticipating God's word to speak to us this morning. If you're ready, say ready. This is the word of the Lord. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions and factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Do you believe there's something in here for us this morning? I believe there is. You may be seated. Father God, I just pray for us now that you would help focus our minds, help us push out any distractions, and would you allow us now to consider our hearts when it comes to the relationships you've placed in our lives, and that we would see the importance of having spirit-led expectations. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for giving us the tools we need to not only survive, but to thrive in our earthly relationships. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. There's something that I want you to put in your mind this morning that's kind of, it is not a kind of, it is absolutely counter to what you naturally desire. But it's kind of a play on words. So I want you to listen carefully. It's, it's saying me first. Me first. Now, when we think about that, one of the ways that that could mean is me first is I want to be in the front of the line. I want my desires to be first. I want, I want my, my desires and my wants to take priority over everything else. But what I want to challenge us to consider this morning as a room full of followers of Jesus Christ, and if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I still want you to consider why this would be a better way to live than living the way that you would want to live in your own natural desires, is to say me first as the one to say, I want to be the first one to serve. I want to be the first one to sacrifice. I want to be the first one to admit I'm wrong. I want to be the first one to ask for forgiveness. I want to be the first one to confess that I might be actually causing this conflict in the relationship. Me first. We see this little phrase and it can have two different meanings. And yet I believe that God says, apart from me, me first is always going to be selfishly motivated. But in me, me first can be, you can actually follow what Christ said. Let me lay down my life for those who are going to let me down. In these first couple of verses in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, 
we, we highlight something here that says that we are called to use this freedom no longer as an opportunity to serve ourselves, but to serve other people. And so what he's doing here is he's highlighting the reality of being set free in Christ. You and I have been set free. See, before believing in Jesus for our salvation, before believing that I need a savior and that Christ is the only one who can forgive my sins because he paid for them on the cross and he secured them through rising from the dead, before believing in the gospel for my salvation, the Bible says that I actually am being controlled by the whims of a broken nature, broken desires. But in Christ, I've been set free, free from the penalty of sin because my sins have been forgiven, but I'm also set free from the control of sin. I now have the ability to recognize it through the spirit of God and be able to say, I'm gonna do something different. And he's saying, now that you are free in Christ, no longer have to try to think wrongly about earning your, the approval of God through the works of the law, trying to earn your salvation. You don't need to earn it. It's been, you've been set free. It's been freely given to you in Christ. But now don't use the fact that your sins are forgiven and your eternity is secure in Christ to go on doing whatever you want and pleasing. Because you still have this old sinful nature in you and there's going to be a war that's going on inside of you until we are in heaven and that sin nature is removed once and for all. And you have the potential to either live for yourself and continue to sin, which is gonna be damaging to you and damaging to others, or you can begin to live for God and he can begin to transform your desires to be like his. And when your desires are like his, you're gonna start living like him. And not only is that going to be glorifying to him, but it's going to be uh, satisfying to you and it's going to be a testimony to the world. But because we see here this, this potential that you and I, even if we're saved this morning, have the potential to either walk in the flesh and kind of do what we want to do or to let the spirit be our guide, let the spirit be the one that guides us and directs us. What we're understanding about this is that every relationship starts with two sinful people. Every relationship. There's a, a book that uh, my wife and I have used as we've counseled couples, both premaritally and also after they've been married. Uh, it's a book by Paul Tripp called What Did You Expect? And the whole premise of this book is we kind of go into marriage again with these expectations that are unrealistic and we forget to realize that I'm a sinner and the person I'm married to is a sinner. And so because of that, I cannot expect perfection. And yet I often do. I often put an unrealistic, overwhelming weight on my spouse to meet all my needs, to meet all my expectations and do everything perfectly. And when they don't, I respond in either anger or I get cold and clam up. Every relationship starts with two sinful people. Why is it important to understand this? I believe if we will start here and understand that as I start in a marriage, I'm married to a sinner, or as I begin to have friendships, or I begin to relate to even my family members, that I'm sinful and that they're sinful, even if they've been saved, this is still going to be a struggle, and there's going to be times where they're battling their flesh. Understanding that we're both sinful is going to help me in how I approach marriage or I approach those relationships, but it's also going to help me in how I respond because I'm going to adjust my expectations accordingly. Rather than seeing this person, this person should already get this. They should know this. We've been married a long time. Or this person should get this. I've already told them everything I want. Why can't they just do it? I begin to understand that they're a sinner. And ultimately, that sin that's inside them that causes them to not meet my expectations all the time or oftentimes act in such a way that I'm harmed by their sinful behavior, that ultimately their rebellion and their sinfulness, although I could be the recipient or be in the way of it, is ultimately against God. It's rebellion to submit their lives to God, to submit to his will. They're pursuing their own desires. And Paul identifies here in the, in the following verses what happens when we give in and fulfill the desires of the flesh. But I think so many marriages would benefit from both the husband and the wife saying out loud, I'm a sinner. And not in a way that justifies their behavior or is this kind of passive kind of, I'm just throwing this out there to try to make peace, but to really go, I'm sorry. I'm struggling. What I did was wrong. To not 
look outward and see all the, all the reasons why I feel justified in my anger, feel justified in my expectations, but just to say, I'm a sinner. And without the help of Christ and the Spirit of God in my life, I'm going to let you down constantly. Because my flesh doesn't desire to put you first. You might be thinking, well, Pete, I don't know. There are times where I really want to serve my spouse. I really want to put them ahead of myself. But I think we can actually take good desires. And because of the brokenness inside of us, we can actually make them sinful. Where I want to serve my wife. I want to serve my husband. But it's because ultimately I want them to fulfill a need that actually only can truly be fulfilled and satisfied by Christ. But I'm doing this in order to get something back. It's this idea of reciprocation. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. We're going to talk in a minute why that is so damaging to marriages and why oftentimes if that's how you view your marriage as a 50-50 agreement, why your marriage is not on the track to success, but possibly fracture. He goes on to say here in verse 16, I say then, because of this reality, this reality that we have freedom now in Christ to say no to sin, but we potentially could still give in to our sinful desires. He's saying that, I say now then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. And then look what he says in verse 17. He highlights this really important reality. For the flesh desires what's against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. The second thing I want to highlight from our text this morning is that our expectations are shaped by our chief desire. Our expectations are shaped by our chief desire. John Henderson in his book called Catching Foxes, which is a book written uh, for premarital couples, couples that are thinking about getting married but I think it's a great book for any marriage to go through. He says this, all of your little expectations have grown from your little desires and your little desires have their roots in your ultimate desire. What is your chief desire? I've been taking some time this week just to inspect my own heart. What's my chief desire in my marriage? What's my chief desire in my my relationships around me? Why do I have those people in my life? Why do I interact with them? Why do I want their relationship or their friendship? What's my motivation? You see, if my motivation is for for Christ, if my chief desire, the reason that Pete Potloff lives and exists and has not been taken home to be with the Lord is to glorify God with my life, to live in humble submission to his will for his glory and his purposes and his good, then my expectations in relationships are going to be driven by that desire to glorify Christ. That everything that I do in regards to the other person, starting with my wife and then starting next with my kids and then all the other people that God has placed in my life, my expectations for them are going to be whatever it is that will glorify God. I don't see them as a resource for me to be consuming from or to be getting something from, but a gift from God to be stewarded, to be cared for, to be nourished and be loved for God's glory. I mean, ultimately in God's goodness, he doesn't call us just to kind of mindless service where we serve another person for his glory and there's absolutely no benefit. We all know in those moments when we are completely surrendered to Christ and saying, I want to put my spouse ahead of myself, but I have to have the spirit of God driving that because I have a nature that does not want to do that no matter how much I feel like I love them. My sinful nature will sabotage me. It will not carry that out, that desire out. That I can live in this life and if I submit myself to God and I walk in the spirit and not carry out the desires of the flesh, I'm not just going through life in a a loveless marriage. No, I'm actually creating the environment in which that marriage will flourish in ways that I would never have thought possible because the spirit of God is bringing life to it in a way that I cannot do in my own ability. but we're control freaks. We think we know best. Who knows what I need better than me? 
God. And so if our chief desire then is to live for self, is to do what we think is best and to, to get a relationship so that it will meet a certain need that we feel like we have to have. I have to be married so I can experience this or I need to have kids so I can experience this or I need these kinds of people around me so that they can do this for me and I can experience this. If my chief aim though is self, that all of my expectations on those other people will be driven by my personal fulfillment and satisfaction. And as soon as that person lets me down, they're going to get it. Because ultimately, my desires are the most important. So what's your chief desire? What are you living for today? I would be an absolute hypocrite to say that I'm always living for Jesus. This is a moment-by-moment decision to walk by the Spirit rather than to give in to the desires of the flesh. Moment-by-moment. I was reminded of this verse this week in my study time, found in Psalm 27, verse 4. I'll read it to you. But this is what I want. This is what I want to be the reality of what's going on inside my life. David says this, I have asked for one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. David's chief desire as he's writing Psalm 27 for us, I just want to be close to God. I just want to be spending time with him, reflecting on him. I want, to, I want to learn from him. I want to experience what it's like to be in his presence. That is my desire. I want to be about him, close to him, and for him in everything that I do. That's his chief desire. <laughs> we even know, though, that David didn't always live by the Spirit. That there were times where he gave into the flesh and that had dire consequences. So every relationship starts with two sinful people. So that should cause us right then to start adjusting our expectation for our spouse because they're not perfect, right? And every expectation is going to be shaped by whatever our chief desire is. And so if we want our desire for our spouse to be godly, to be submitted to God, then our chief desire in life overall, outside of the relationship, has to start with, I'm living for Christ. And I want every aspect of my life, every desire to be to glorify him first. And here's why this is so important. Look what it says in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. And it gives a long list here of, of different ways that the flesh will manifest itself. If we do what the flesh desires, this is what it leads to. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, See, those first couple were like, okay, you know, I, I haven't been sexually immoral or I haven't been living an impure life and I'm not serving any other idols, we think. But then look what it gets into. It starts to, to, to make this segue into something that maybe, maybe starts to sting a little bit. Hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. And for all the kids in the room and the teens in the room who think, well, I'm not married and that's a long way off. There's other parts of scripture that talk about the works of the flesh and clearly list that one of the aspects of the flesh is disobedience to parents. You're welcome, parents. All right. <laughs> but here's what this tells us. It's our third point this morning. The desires of the flesh never lead to relational harmony. No matter how strong your feeling is, and no matter how much you try to convince yourself that if I do what I feel, this is what I need. This is what my heart is telling me. This is what I have to have. That if it is not rooted in the spirit of God, if it's not birthed from him, it will never lead to what you think it will. Your flesh is not your friend. Unredeemed sinful flesh is never going to lead you towards closer to God. In fact, that's what it says here in verse 17. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. Now you might be able to get what you want temporarily. You might say, no, this is what I need and this is what I want. And so this is what I'm pursuing. And I, and I can give you all the reasons. In fact, I've ever even heard people talk about 
what they need relationally from their spouse or in their dating relationships, and they will quote scripture to try to justify their expectations. And yet their desire at the root of it is still selfish as not to God's glory. And so they'll, they'll, they'll maybe be able to manipulate and contrive and get what they want. And yet then they're surprised when it's not as harmonious as they thought it should be. You may be able to get what you want temporarily by the flesh. You might be able to experience things that might have a momentary amount of pleasure or satisfaction, but we all can speak to this and testify. And if I were to ask if this was true, I'm sure that 99.9% of the room would raise their hand to say that sin might feel good for a moment, but it leaves scars for a lifetime. It won't lead to relational harmony or lasting intimacy. You see, the works of the flesh are harmful both to you and to your spouse. But then it goes on to say, but. A great transition word in scripture. There's so much hope there. But. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Last point I want to highlight for us this morning is that spirit-led spouses are equipped for every relational challenge. One of the things I'm hoping that we take away from this morning is, you know, how then can we practically improve our marriage? How can we fight less? How can we be unified more? How can we kind of move in the same direction with our kids? I don't think it's about learning how to fight fair. I don't think it's about a bunch of ground rules or laws that we try to put in place to try to kind of hone us in and try to put our, bend our will to being more appropriate and more peaceful and more harmonious. I think successful marriages are spirit-led marriages. Both individuals saying, me first, God. You do the work in my life. Get my eyes off of the offense in my spouse. Get my eyes off of how they're treating me and help me to see what I need to do here so that whatever happens to me, whatever relational challenge is thrown in my way, when I wake up this morning, and, and not this is not true for me, please. This is not true for me. But I went to bed last night really great, and then I woke up this morning, and I'm just angry at everybody. That through the Spirit of God's help, I can actually navigate that in a God-glorifying way and not stay in that bitterness or that frustration or that anger. You see, I mean, look at this list. Think about these qualities that the Spirit of God produces in us are highly relational. And this this is what I want us to see. I have a chart for us up here, is that when I experience these relational challenges, I can respond with something contrary to what the flesh would do in that situation because the Spirit of God is driving me. So when I'm feeling selfish and wanting to go me first, I can actually say, no, you first. And I can lay down my life and and the love you through action, which is to put your best interest ahead of my own. When I begin to feel disappointment when an expectation is not met, the Spirit of God can actually help me to be joy-filled, focused on an upward promise, focused on my position in Christ, not having to let my emotions go through a roller coaster every time something doesn't happen the way I want. And when I begin to feel irritated, by somebody in my life, the Spirit of God can keep me peace-filled. When I begin to feel anger rise up, patience. If I feel offended by something that I'm saying, I can remain kind in my response. When someone has been harsh to me, I can respond gently. When I'm beginning to be tempted maybe into sin or drawn into something that's going to take me away from the God and maybe cause me to fulfill a desire of the flesh, I can respond in faithfulness. And goodness, staying doing what's right because the Spirit of God is helping me maintain my faithfulness. Or when someone levels an accusation against me, whether it's true or false, he can produce self-control in my life. When I was in seventh grade, I changed schools. My dad was a a school administrator, and he got a new job, and so I had to transfer schools from the school I'd been at my whole life and transferred to a new school. And, and that first year in seventh grade was a really hard year. I mean, number one, seventh grade's hard in general, but then he transferred schools. And then number three, I had this guy named Brett who was just mean to me. 
And before you feel sorry for me, I was mean to him. Because that's what seventh grade boys do. You got to save face. You got to respond. But I would act tough at school and I would hurl insults back and we would, you know, you know cut each other low is what we called it. Ooh, you got cut low. And I'd go home and I'd cry. And I would just say, can I please go back to my last school? I remember my dad told me, no. But he didn't just say that unlovingly. He actually took me to the word of God. He said, Pete, I want to show you a verse out of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 1. And it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. He said, why don't the next time Brett says something mean or rude to you, why don't you just respond in kindness? Why don't you look for ways to pay him a compliment? What do you think my seventh grade mind thought to that idea? Are you crazy? I don't know why, but I tried it. I tried looking for ways to compliment Brett, to pass him the ball when playing basketball at PE, or maybe opportunities where he was being rude to not respond in kind. You know what happened in my life? Brett became my best friend. From seventh grade all the way through high school, we were best friends. He was the best man in my wedding. To this day, we still keep in contact distance. He still lives in California. That would never have happened if I did not submit to what God's word says relationally, what I'm supposed to do when something's happening to me. And if the spirit of God can enable me to respond spiritually of a seventh grade boy, he can do it no matter what age you are. So what do we do? Then how do we get practical? Because unrealistic expectations always lead to disappointment. And we bring these unrealistic expectations into every relationship because we get distracted. We have these desires. And then we get into these relationships and we start to maybe make it more about us and our desires and needs. And then the relationship starts to struggle and starts to fracture. What do we do when we are disappointed by the state of our marriage? Where do we go? Well, this is what I want to suggest for us this morning. Three things. We need to start upward, then inward, and then outward. Now, this is, this seems clever and it's obviously not original, but I think it's so important because oftentimes when we have relational stress that's caused by unmet expectation, we do the reverse. We start with the outward. We got to, we got to change other people. We got to hold them accountable. They need to be the ones that change first. Remember what I said. I want our focus these next two weeks to be me first. And a me first attitude says, I'm going to start first by going to God. I'm not even going to try to tackle this spiritual problem that's coming from fleshly desires that are raging war against the the spirit of God in me that are leading to expectations that are not leading to relational harmony. Instead of me trying to fix this, even in my own spiritual knowledge, I need to first go to God. Look what it says here in verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I love that that phrase here in the CSB. Let us keep in step. That means we are, we're coming close to him and saying, I'm going to need to walk step by step. I, I need you to take the first step. I'm following your lead here, God. What do you want me to do? What do you need to do in me? What am I not seeing about myself? How can you equip me, prepare me to respond rightly? Because I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. See, the Spirit of God, when we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit of God acts as a rudder, helps us navigate. You know, this is on a big ship, even the big cruise ship, these rudders are, are, are not proportionately that big compared to the rest of the ship, and yet they can simply turn and guide that big ship around obstacles, guide it in the direction that it needs to go. The Spirit of God is, is a rudder in our lives, it can help guide our, our desires point us in the right direction and keep us pointed towards the Lord. So we need to start upward and then we need to look inward. God, after after we prayed and asked God to help us, we need to to look inside and go, are are my expectations godly here? Are they selfish? And we can do a really good job to disguise selfish desires as godly ones. 
But to honestly lay ourselves bare before the Lord and go, Lord, there is obviously something going on in this relationship. It might be with my spouse. It might be with my, my family. It might be with my kids. It might be with my coworkers. God, is there something that I'm doing? It's something that I'm putting on them that they can never measure up to, that they'll never be able to meet because you never asked them to meet it. Is there something that I am doing here? And if it is, God, would you change my expectation to be more in line with what you would expect? Would you cause me to think of them and see them as you see them rather than maybe how I'm seeing them right now in my flesh? And then allow that work of the Spirit then to drive what comes out of me going forward. I believe if we will do this process, it will help us change our perspective of how marriage should work. One of the handouts you might have picked up on your way out here talks about two different views of marriage. One is held by a lot of the world. It's a contractual view. We understand contracts. We have tons of contracts in our life. We, we have a cell phone contract. We have a streaming service contract. We have contract with the gym. We, we have all kinds of different places. And we say, I will, there's been a negotiation of terms and I will do this and you will do that. But what happens when one side doesn't meet the, the expectations of the agreed deal? It has to either be reworked or we just void it and say, nope, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to do something else. And there's a lot of times that that contractual mindset shapes how we view marriage. I'm, I'm entering into this agreement and I'm making a deal with you. I will do these things. And I will fulfill these responsibilities if and only if you do these things and fulfill those responsibilities. Imagine going to a wedding and that's what the vows actually sounded like. A contractual view of marriage thinks of marriage as a 50-50 commitment. But that's not what a covenantal view of marriage is. And all the language we see in scripture, in fact, even the language we use today in our wedding ceremonies is covenantal. It's saying, I'm not just going to do this for you if you do something for me. I'm actually, I'm going to give myself completely to you. I'm going to lay down my life to serve you, to live for you as unto the Lord. In fact, a covenant in a marriage is actually not to that person. It's to the Lord on behalf of that person. Lord, I'm committing to you to live my life for this person under your power, no matter what they do. So that's when we say things like through richer or poorer, sickness and health. It's saying no matter what comes, Lord, I'm committed to you and I'm going to serve this person faithfully the rest of my days. See, in a covenantal marriage to people who've made covenants to God to live their lives for the other person unto the glory of God, they actually see marriage as a 100%, 100% commitment. To love the Lord is to love your spouse graciously and to give yourself to them. It doesn't require reciprocity. And when we live in light of a covenant, it glorifies Christ. I mentioned John Henderson earlier in his book called Catching Foxes. He says this, If God's glory and pleasure rules my desires, then I should see every situation in my marriage as an opportunity to love and enjoy Christ through loving and enjoying my mate. I will love my wife, you could put husband there, more than I need her to respect me, validate me, or do things my way. No matter what circumstances we may face, I should respond to her with just the same grace and patience that Jesus Christ grants to my soul every day. The desire for his will and glory should shape in a good and healthy way all my attitudes and actions towards my wife. If my chief desire is to live for God, then my chief motivation towards my spouse or towards my kids or towards those relationships that God has placed in my life is going to be, Lord, how can I serve them unto your glory? And in fact, every relational hardship or obstacle where our sin nature start to kind of bang into each other and there's starting to be little sparks and scrapes and scratches. If we're completely walking in the spirit, we say, God, you're going to use this. Actually, you can actually take that and actually use it to strengthen our faith in you, strengthen our resolve to trust you, Lord, that you can actually bring something good out of that, that it could be more refining than destructive. But we need the Lord's help to accomplish this. I want to leave us this morning 
with some covenant commitments. In a little devotional guide called the Trail Guide for the Christian Man's Journey, it uses this acronym, and I put it in our notes because I think it's just helpful to remember what does this look like if I have realistic expectations in my marriage and I am committed to loving them as unto the Lord. I'm committed to a covenant with them, not a contract with them. What does that look like? Well, first, I, I commit to working through problems, not walking away. I offer to love them even when I don't feel like it. I view my marriage as God's setting for spiritual growth. I eliminate the emphasis on my rights. I nurture my identity in Christ. I ask God to change me first. I nourish my extended family relationships. I start me first. I start, I initiate that and I turn my expectations over to God and say, God, if there's any expectation I have in my marriage that is not of you, rip it out, change it, reform it, and put in there in its place a godly desire. You see, a covenantal view of marriage will change your expectations. When you start living your marriage and viewing your spouse as not your possession, your property, your, that person that you should expect to meet all your needs and to make you the happiest person on earth, and you view them as someone that God has placed in your life, that he's called you to love as unto him, it will change your expectations. And even though this fights against our human nature to put ourselves first, if we will put our spouse first, we will actually experience the depth of intimacy that God desires to have with his church and we see that the scriptures compare the, the union between Christ, the head, the groom, and the bride, the church, and this intimacy that he wants us to have with him. When we will submit ourselves to God's design for marriage, we actually get to experience the intimacy that God desires to have with his creation, an intimacy that reflects the intimacy that they have within the Godhead, the Trinity. That's amazing. So what should you expect? Well, You should expect to sacrifice. You should expect to be faithful. You should expect your spouse to, for, to ask for your forgiveness, or excuse me, you should expect to forgive your spouse as God has forgiven you. You should expect that you're gonna have moments of joy when you don't expect it, and you should expect disappointment when you don't expect it. But that also you should expect that God will guide you through those times. You should be expected to be amazed that your spouse will love you far more than you actually deserve. You should expect that your sin will cause a lot of trouble in your marriage. You should expect to repent often. You should expect that your enjoyment of God and of your spouse to grow and grow as you grow closer to him. You should expect to know that God will be faithful if you will rely on him to set your expectations. We can expect great things in our marriages if our expectations are sourced and flow out of the Spirit of God. It starts with us going upward, then inward, then outward. This morning, we're going to take communion together. Hopefully, as you came in, you had an opportunity to grab one of these little cups. If you didn't, our ushers are ready right now to... Uh, just put your hand up, they'll come by, and they'll give you one of these little cups. We're going to sing a song here uh, in worship to prepare our hearts for this. But I just want to highlight something. Marriage is, is a covenant unto the Lord for him to, to lead and to guide our lives. And every time we take communion, what we do as believers is we remember that covenant. And we ask the Lord to help us remain faithful to him. We remember his death, burial, and resurrection. We remember that he gave his body. It was broken for us. We remember that his blood was poured out for us. And it says that often as we remind ourselves of God's love for us, his covenant, and his soon return, we proclaim that to not only ourselves, but also to the world. And so we're going to take a few minutes to finish our service here and to remember that what God calls us to in marriage, he's actually modeled in his attitude and behavior to us. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your word. And I love how your word can speak about topics, even if that, that passage wasn't specifically about marriage. It reveals a, a dynamic in our marriages that we have to submit to you. 
God, so many times in our marriages and even in our relationships, the problems that come up, the conflict that arises because we have unrealistic expectations that are sourced in our flesh and not in the spirit. And so God, I pray that you would reveal those to us today. And while it might not be simple to reform our desires, it's possible because of the spirit of God in us. And God, I pray for our people that you would help hurting marriages this morning, that you would strengthen marriages that are doing well, that you would prepare hearts that maybe have been hurt by marriage or desire to be married. God, that you would cause us to be spirit-led people so that no matter what relationship you called us into, God, we would glorify you. That would be our motivation. So God, help us with our expectations and help us to not put expectations on another that are only meant for you. Help us to put our full hope, our full identity, our full desire to be known and loved on you because you are the only one who can fulfill that for us. And thank you, God, for providing a way for us to have that kind of relationship with you through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. I pray now that you prepare our hearts to take communion. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. We're gonna start with the bread portion. So if you wanna open that up. And if you are a guest here this morning, uh, we... We invite you to take this if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is something that the Bible calls believers to do. Um, if, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, there's no shame. There's no uh, problem with that. We just, we, we don't want you to feel like you have to take it. But this is what scripture tells us. The apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Prepare the cup side. The apostle Paul goes on to talk about the events that took place the night that Jesus instituted this. It says in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He goes on to say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you believe he's coming for his church? We could be more confident next time about that question. He's coming back, folks. And we have great hope.